Welcome back to part two or episode two, in which we find the tape of Keir Starmer and get you to guess which clip is the real Keir Starmer and which is the voice you'd want him to have. And we ask, does a politician's voice play a role in determining what kind of politician they can actually be? You're listening to Electioneering with me, Dominic Mingella. Uh, and Mark Lucas, who is here to, I think, press the buttons, really. So let's have talking the pressing buttons then. Dominic has done uh, a little test run on Keir Starmer's voice and he's got his real voice and then he's made it a bit deeper and a bit deeper to see whether that makes a difference in how we perceive him. So I'm going to play it. And I'll shout out A, B, C and D. And the listeners can tell us which one is best and which one is the real one. Just to be clear, when you press go, we're going to hear the same clip four times with very slight differences, and people can have to listen really carefully. So, Keir Starmer meeting a bloke. Here we go. I'm here at NATO headquarters in Brussels for an important meeting with the Secretary General Stoltenberg. I'm here at NATO headquarters in Brussels for an important meeting with the Secretary General Stoltenberg. I'm here at NATO headquarters in Brussels for an important meeting with the Secretary General Stoltenberg. I'm here at NATO headquarters in Brussels for an important meeting with the Secretary General Stoltenberg. So, we'll let him off for the fact that he can't say Secretary General, (laughs) but is it A, B, C or D, the best voice? Yeah, and which is the real voice, and we'll have to work out, let's, let's say we should... We have to have two polls, will we? One is what is the real voice. Yeah. And the other is... What's the best what's the voice. Best, the best voice. So just to explain, Dom has sort of deepened and slowed or messed around in some clever way that I don't only understand. Only changed the pitch. He's only changed the pitch. Okay, so he hasn't messed around in, in ways that we don't understand. He's messed around in a way that we can understand, which is that he's changed the pitch of the voice. So not the pace of it, not the delivery, obviously. It's the same words... And he's he's deepened the pitch by a tone. Um, so, yes, the deepest one is a whole whole tone, and the um, then there's also half a semitone, and and I think half a half a semitone, a quarter of a semitone. Don't quote me on that, but we're, nothing is more than a tone. So one note on the piano, one white key to another white key. And can I have a guess, or is it just for the? How do we? How we're going to do this? Yeah. So yes, yeah, so we're going to say if you want to know the if you don't want to know the answer, fast forward. Look away now. <laughs> Look away now. <laughs> uh, okay, so I reckon C is the best for me, and D is the worst, and it sort of got better, and then it went really weird at the end. Yeah, and so C is the one that's been most changed, just like right. an old tone. And D, which is a bit of a shock when you get to D, when it's, you're beginning to think, hang on, this is really working. And you get to D and it sounds wrong again. And the one that sounds wrong is Keir Starmer's real voice. That's super weird, isn't it? It's so unappealing when you listen against the other ones, which when, is also him, I know. Yeah, it's also him. And the, also the variation is, we're, we're struggling to remember exactly how much it is, but it's really very small variation. If you go... Just one note on a keyboard difference. That's as much as we've done. Wow. So uh, I think it's really compelling. And I haven't shared this with Keir or his team, but maybe 
maybe we should send them this podcast. Yeah, I think you've got to share it with them because that's sort of, if that's only one tone different, it's transformational because you sort of think the last one's a mistake or something or you're having a laugh with it mm. and it's yeah. his actual voice. Yeah. My God, if I wonder what I would do if someone showed me that and it was my voice. Mm. I'd change how I speak straight. I just would. I wouldn't yeah. speak the same again. No. I think when we listen back to this and we hear our voices, we'll probably <laughs> we should all go to voice school. Can we knock that down a couple of times? <laughs> yeah. We haven't got an engineer, but if we had, that's what we'd be asking. Yeah. So, is that a universal then, do you think, that if you deepen your tone, slow down, is that is that going to change how you see somebody? It is, isn't it, really? I think it must be hardwired that we listen to strong male, deep voices with more respect. And it does. It speaks of a larger chest and big, bigger, stronger guy, and you better listen to him. That's, you know, that must be biological, mustn't it? It's definitely authority there, isn't there, when he's, when he's deeper. And obviously, that, as we said at the start of this, Thatcher did the same, went through the same uh, process. Um, it is interesting. Why doesn't everybody do that then? Why doesn't everybody. Well, I think. Probably the truth is not not everybody needs to. Mm. You know, we started talking about not loving the sounds of our voice, and our voices are pretty, both pretty high. Are they? Uh, I think so. Um, and so that's how we got going on this. And um, I don't think everybody. I think, but I think Kia's got a particularly high register that could mm. definitely do. I mean, the evidence is what we've just heard. You know, it's definitely different. It's definitely something in it. Well, look, I think there's definitely a case for if you want to be a leader of a party for thinking about how you how you sound, and we, it's not new. But mm. I don't know. I certainly haven't had that conversation with anyone on Keir's team. I don't know if anybody else has, or whether you know. There's a, there's issues of authenticity as well, aren't there? You can't suddenly change who you are. But we are talking about very very small you know gradations of, of oh, I didn't even know which one was his original voice no. I had no idea so that sort of a, mm. that level of a change is mm. not that's not going to you know mm. he's not having a do over is he really he's no. just no I mean I did think about just using the deeper voice in our submission to the party here's your there you go there's your film and they would never have known mm. and it would have been slightly more authoritative but you know I don't think you can do that without you can't really do that without um, somebody knowing you that wouldn't be ethical but as a listener it's really interesting and as somebody who wants to reach out to people it's really interesting I think it's okay I think people get that you want to be the best um, as they say these days the best version of you you know mm. do we wish Gordon had sorted his barnet out and do you know yeah kind of you mm. know because mm. he was so good at everything but then he just looked a bit of a state at times and you just really wanted him to to not be that so i think people sort of get if you're trying to be the you know like you can still be authentic but just kind of make adjustments for Mm. for the world in which you're working Mm. i think that's what everyone Mm. everyone basically does that i mean thatcher changed completely and she got she got totally away with it Mm. and she Mm. the criticism was that she was bonkers and destroying the country not that she had a slightly deeper voice. No. Right, well, there's a job to be done there, isn't there? Clearly. And don't tell Rishi that he's got to change his voice. Because <laughs> his voice is terrible, which is great. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, he's got more. His problem more than a pitch problem. His um, public speaking is woeful. You know. Oh, his autocue is the worst I've seen. I mean, I've been involved, you know, quite a bit in autocue yeah. training for people, and it's a bit weird because you've got to look left and right, and mm. you know, and so it's a bit tricky, and not everyone can do it. But he looks suddenly becomes like a robot, doesn't he? he becomes a weird posh robot. But also, he talks in this. He's trying to speak in a comforting tone, like this, and it doesn't often doesn't match what he's saying. So he says, "So thousands of people have drowned in the channel." It's not a story, Rishi. It's not a, you know, it's not a bedtime story. His, it's just like he just can't match his his delivery tone to his content at all. It just sounds really odd. Is that to do with the voice, or is it to do with? How he sees things, do you know what I mean? Is it is that he just sort of sees everything in this same way, or or is it just his voice is weird? I don't know. I don't know. Like he's quite unknowable in a way, isn't he? Maybe it's a cynic in me, but you feel like he's very, 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 very rich. He's richer, richer than the royal family, right? I used to say richer than the queen, but now I guess it's richer than the king. And um, um, he doesn't have to do this. So is it a bit of a in a million years? But is it a bit of a game for him? Sounds a bit like it, doesn't it? You have that slight feeling. And when when he had that, what was undoubtedly a win over the protocol. That was a massive win, yeah. It's a really, really important thing that happened there. And, you know, I don't like him or his politics, but I can see that that's better than what we had. The the crash that we were, the wall we were about to crash into. Then, you know, you could see him thinking the next day, oh, I've had a win. So he went over to Antrim. And started saying, do you know, this guys, this is great for you here. You know, it's like you've got the best of both worlds. You've got the massive internal market of the UK. And then you've got the wonderful market of the EU. And you could just see, you know, just like the sort of, the sort of sense of, a, you know, I've had a win and I was like winning at Monopoly. It's just like a game because anyone who's really serious about the points would not make a mistake like that. It just has no doesn't start from a place of knowing what it's like for anybody in the yeah, real world. Yeah, you couldn't talk like that if you really understood the importance of no. it to, to so many people. No. So I think there might be an extent to answer your question, which is, is it because it is a bit of a story? It is a bit of a... doesn't really understand the full import of his words. I would say that to to come off the back of that win and walk into such a silly error in the way that he did shows a naivety and a, and a disconnect... There's that guy in um, The Great Gatsby, Tom or whatever, and they said um, um, his voice is full of money. Hmm. But I don't know if Rishi's is full of money. It's not... It's full of... I don't know. What is it full of? It's it's not really full of money, is it? Because he's rich, but he... I don't know. Does he sound rich or does he just sound like a teenage... He doesn't sound rich, but but he his behaviour is that of a rich. And, and yeah, so the yeah. little bits of stuff we know reveal as someone who doesn't live in our world yeah. who goes to fill up a car for a little bit of a, a petrol station for a little bit of a stunt when he's chancellor and doesn't have a car with him to fill up so as to borrow as to borrow a you know a plebs car from one of the supermarket staff from the car park and look like he's filling that up so he fills it up and he's got his sleeves rolled up and everything fills up this car and you know he's like he's selling he's got a 5p discount on petrol or something that's his big offer to the masses you know then he goes to pay with his debit card 
you know, this is all this is this is the whole point of his day is to do this, and he has no idea how to pay with his debit card. What a mess up! So you know, he doesn't ever clearly never been by or near filling up a car or paying in the petrol station. So he doesn't like page one. You do not live in our world, mm. um, and you were trying to show that you did, and you just couldn't even get it vaguely right really tells me you can talk about things that are really impacting people's lives and in a sing-song tone because it it, is far from your reality and you know i don't think that you should the politicians all have to be poor at all but you can be rich but be rich in a way that that comes out of some kind of as we talked about before lived experience can great win on your journey that's fine but still understand the people that you're trying to lead So his voice is sort of the audio equivalent of asking a homeless bloke if he's thought about working in finance or (laughs) doing the petrol station or what have you. Yeah, and we kind of know it. Yeah, that is so interesting, Mm -hmm. isn't it? And if he could change that voice, he might change how we think about him. Yeah, because, you know, and the sort of counter-argument is Boris sounds, you know, and we think certainly the content of what Boris says should never work politically. Should it? You know, the Latin that he comes up with and the... Yeah, and, waff and all this. Yeah, yeah. and um, donnez-moi un break. You know, I mean, just like it's sort of schoolboy French and... But talking Latin at people should not endear you. But there's something about his... The overall package of his delivery that people, they just don't mind it. And See, even that thing about being authentic, I think... I, I sort of question it because... Clearly, Boris, it's a bit of an act as well. You know, you obviously don't know where the where the real Boris is in amongst all of that. Probably he doesn't know either. But he seems authentic, and Tony Blair seems authentic, and there are people who can seem authentic, and you don't necessarily know whether that's real or not, but you feel it's real. But it could just be a, you know, a construction or an act. I mean, I think what it is with Boris is that when he when he's trying to convey a message even if he uses words that you never advise a politician to use, he does it in that direct, informal tone, as if you're, you're sitting there right with him opposite him having a pint. There's something about the directness of connection that he has got that that allows him to get away with Latin and, mm. and also with his content is lies and nonsense. Um out, out and out lies, but because he's saying it to you like a sort of guy down the pub with a cheeky grin. Yeah, it's like you, you You're know buying. that I know yeah. that you yeah, know, you know that, that I know that like you. Yeah, there. yeah. So, it, but it is to do with that directness of connection, which is very different from what Tony had. Tony's always had a, or you could say more about that because you knew him before he was a media personality. But these days, he, you know, and, and really since the days of 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 New Labour 97 onwards, he's always had a kind of lofty visionary quality to mm. him, which worked in a totally different way. It didn't work on a man-to-man down the pub kind of basis. It worked on, I'm selling you a vision, and it's a vision that you might not have thought of, but look at all these different things in the round, and I'm here to tell you that we can go We go in this direction, and everybody's better off off we go, let's go and think, okay, you know, we have got to make some changes, so let's go where that bloke tells us to go because he's thought it through. Um, that's a di- completely different way of connecting with the people. Yeah, that one's interesting. I mean, I think, I mean, by the way, for all listeners, um, 
I met him before he was leader and then worked a little bit on stuff that he did early on. Um, and for example, like it took him a while to hone his, his pitch in a way because he had a leadership election. He did 15, I think, hustings, you know. So he did basically the same speech 15 times and honed it and honed it. And the difference, like the difference with the tone thing was amazing by the end. Or mm. the first time I did stuff with him on camera, we had to redo it and then redo it and then redo it, mm. you know. But nevertheless... It was funny because whenever he walked in a room, even when he was still early on, people sort of stopped and would look, you know, and it felt like there was an arrival and a presence and everything was going to be all right and something was going to happen. And and he hadn't even spoken. So even before, I mean, I'm sure if he had a, a Rishi voice, he would have, you know, it wouldn't have been the same, but he had a sort of physical presence as well as... Um, and then the voice that, that that went with it. Although I suppose that's a, he's got a sort of posh black voice, I suppose, isn't he? But and but I, I remember seeing the hustings on TV, and I saw what I what and it was Margaret Beckett and who else was it running? Can't remember. Um, I can't remember either. I should remember. Was it John Prescott? It probably was. Yeah, he was certainly there at these hustings. Yeah. So anyway, I remember seeing it and thinking, "Oh, that." I'd never seen him before. I think that guy's interesting. He's really he and he looked really boyish mm. and spoke in a quite boyish way. But the thing that I really, really remember about that was how nervous he looked. And I remember thinking, if that guy can calm his nerves, he'll be a, a leader for a generation. And voting for him on that basis. And um, I don't know if that exists. That I've tried to find it. Wouldn't it be interesting to play it back and see? Yeah. It was definitely televised. Um, and I think I was writing at the time and, you know, watched it on daytime TV. And I tried to find it subsequently and not managed to. I'm pretty sure he slowed down and I'm pretty sure he began to use a lot more um, hand gestures, you know, more mm. in a kind of more considered way. Mm. But I, I don't know if he ever really changed his voice i think it did change but i can't remember it changing. feels like it just it just matured yeah naturally but it's interesting about hand gestures i mean i think you should talk a bit more about that experience you had of getting to know you films for for tony but um uh, as far as i know the orthodoxy at the moment particularly in the the people advising the labor party when it comes to tv appearances is that they're more or less told to sit on their hands mm. um which i think is really odd Obviously, I think, first of all, there shouldn't be a blanket rule because some people are better than others with their body language and some people need the freedom of moving their hands in order to articulate themselves properly. I do. I can't explain something. If, I should, if you tell me not to move my hands, I'm, I'm, I'm in trouble. If I'm physically stiff, I can't... No. I just can't, Everything's no. weird, yeah. And obviously you don't want people putting their hands in front of their faces so that the camera can't see them. Or You know, one of the things that you and I were... Uh, um, for for a moment going to try and help Bernie Sanders and um, Bernie's hands that are above his head when he talks. Um, he gives he, big hands. Yes, yeah, he, lo- he looks. Sanders. Yeah, he bang. looks like there's a bomb about to drop on him when he's scared. And um, um, so you don't want to do that. But I think using the hands to be more eloquent and persuasive is a massive thing. And I would I would certainly counsel some of our um, opposition politicians to feel freer with their hands than they currently seem to do. Um, but talk about, because I think it's really interesting what happened when you were, you know, in the days when filming was slower and more expensive and what happened with you when you were 
Yeah, well, the first thing was in the hustings, we used to have bets as to how many live spiders he would do, which was the hands mm. like that, mm. how many dead spiders he would do, which was the <laughs> okay. hands Hand like up, that. Be a palm down. Yeah, how, how many two hands straight forward yes. he would do. Yeah. How many thumbs on top of the... Yes, he does do that, doesn't he? Thumbs Glenn, on top Glenn's of the wrist fist he would do. Yeah. With the thumbs sticking out. So yeah. they were like really... Like no one... I know it sounds like a music, you know, almost like a band creating a new sound. No one was really doing those things. You know, Clinton mm. had sort of given a really kind of, you know, charismatic um, lead on on presentation but Tony's was very different and kind of specifically his and it was almost like he was doing things that other people weren't really doing Mm. with their hands Mm. Uh, and I don't know where that came from maybe his training as a barrister or what have you I don't know but it was very very like noticeable and very very um, marked and they were always he was always in control it's like he was controlling the space in front of him and around him in quite a kind of purposeful way. Mm. So even if he was saying any old thing, you think he was actually doing it with some purpose because he was actually demonstrating that he had some really strong, strongly held view about this by the way he used his hands. So I thought that was really interesting. And he did it naturally, so no one really needs... I mean, maybe practised at home in the mirror, mm. I don't know, with his mm. wife. But um, that he never really... I don't think he, he never really needed to to work on but actually one thing that happened in the early filming stuff was that he was he was almost kind of jumping at things and he was so eager that it was kind of coming out quite quick and quite mm. yeah eager like almost like a not a teen you know not a teenager in the way that Rishi is like but someone with that energy and that desire which was good but um it came across as a little bit kind of jumpy and a little bit stuttery and a little bit um too much in in that small space for the camera Mm. Um, but so quickly he just kind of tuned into different modes of doing it so he was able to be quite intimate on camera after a little bit of practice but he was able to be quite intimate in a small space with the camera right in front of him or if he was in a big space he, he was able to give a sense that he was almost filling that space and owning it you know even though he had autocue he would be looking up you know, all the time, even if there wasn't a, an up to look at, he would still be looking at the up. Yeah. Um, so that it felt that it was, you felt physically kind of attracted to him in a way because he was in control of that space and he knew what he wanted to do with it. And it made you feel like, oh, this bloke knows, he knows, you know, he's in charge and he knows. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the content of what he said um, obviously was important, like, not going to, you know, it wasn't just a performer, but the way in which he performed was very different to anyone else and kind of strikingly so. And he was always from early on in control, although he improved a lot in those early days. You know, it wasn't that he was like always spot on and he had to learn things, but he he really, it's like he learned them really quickly. Like you would imagine, you've worked a lot with actors and, you know, and, and I have led to a lesser degree, but certain actors can just kind of, do things and just own spaces in a certain and you just feel really appear you know you just want to hang out with them and mm. Mm. and he just always sort of had that but the voice I don't know it definitely matured and definitely because I remember it vaguely being a bit higher but I don't remember specifically it, it changing um, but that sort of eagerness he definitely slowed down that's something that he definitely did and he definitely 
was able to emote actually as well or give you the sense that he was there was emotion behind what he said but without becoming you know like kind of Neil Kinnock thing where it was you know flying off in all directions and sparks were flying mm. you always felt he was always in control the emotion was kind mm. of chosen in mm. a way I suppose mm. but wasn't it the case in the very early days that you'd make a whole film and then look at it with him and then decide actually that's good but not good enough let's do something else and yeah I'll tell you what was remarkable about him like if you said oh we've got to do that again or that wasn't how we need it to be he would just go yeah okay alright how do you want it then and he would just take even from you know at that point I was basically a young kid in the room who had some TV experience that's you know there by chance really but he was very willing to take comments and notes and he was able to listen, actually listen and, and absorb and, and take things on quite easily and because I hadn't worked with loads of politicians, I thought, oh, this is, that's really great. You know, he's listening and he's learning and he's trying it a bit differently. And if we say do it again, he's like, yeah, sure. And if it's too long, we'll say, and he's fine with that. And then as time went on, I've worked with loads of politicians. Almost none of them <laughs> can listen and almost none of them are learning and almost mm-hmm. none of them are trying to take on board what was, if you like, a professional view and try and improve upon it. And And he... He just did that, you know, not instinctively maybe, but you could see that he was open to to that completely. And actually, even all through the times that I've known him, he was all, he's always been open to, to notes and to changing and adjust, making adjustments as appropriate. Whereas, I don't know, let's not name names, but there was another leader uh, and you could, your heart went out to him because you could see if it, if he didn't get it right first go... He, he always thought he'd got it right first go and then mm. if he hadn't or someone said he hadn't he'd sort of be crushed or he mm. just couldn't cope with it or mm. Mm. he'd get angry or he'd get you know frustrated with himself and mm. and, and also t- what's weird is that the cost of these things has gone down to nothing which makes has made our lives difficult because no one wants to put, <laughs> put the money down to actually do really the job properly yeah. but even even as the cost has gone down it's like it's it feels as though the value in terms of commitment of time and energy has gone down too. So actually, you might only get a couple of hours, which is hardly enough time to set up a camera and get go, go through once or twice. And then people are politicians are busy and off they run. And there doesn't feel like there's sort of the thinking time and the analysing time and the, the time to pay attention to detail. We talked about earlier about how should we, what sort of tone do we do we want for this and how do we get two different politicians tones to to marry and um there isn't time and it you know i'm sure politicians have always politicians have always been madly busy but it feels like we now live in a world where image is absolutely everything and getting it down boiling it down and boiling it down even to the tiniest three word soundbite you know has become de rigueur and actually the amount of time given to achieving that result it seems to have gone away I mean I think that's a part I haven't really thought about that but now you say it, it's clearly true the sort of craft of it is um, maybe not entirely absent but certainly lessened so Margaret Thatcher you know changed her voice changed her accent changed her walk changed her dress and she worked at it uh, and Tony Blair was prepared to sort of craft it as well uh, and you could say, well, we don't like either of them for X or Y reason. But I don't think you would ever say, 
you didn't recognise there was craft or there was ability or there, you know, you kind of kind of recognise that they had um, professionalised the way in which they were presenting themselves. And it remains that the biggest figures that we think about of our time happen also to be the people who would work at it as a craft, really. Mm. And I don't know, I mean, I've certainly seen other politicians, British ones on the left, trying to practice stuff. But I don't, I felt like they were just trying, it, was, it wasn't like a part of their craft. It wasn't like they were embracing it. They were trying to do it because they thought they probably had to do it something better. I mean, there's one Labour leader who practiced walking, you know, which mm. was absolutely ridiculous and disastrous. Yeah. Uh, and it felt always inauthentic and always, you know, odd. Mm. Um, but it feels like the cra- that craft is actually is lessened, you know, and maybe those conversations are happening less, and the time they give to these things is is less, and and the the art of it is therefore also lessened, mm. I suppose. Mm. Mm. Um, and it feels to me a bit like also you need. It, isn't there a sort of whole package story to this? So, you know, I don't think Tony Blair could be Tony Blair in terms of the ideas that he has and wants to promulgate without having honed his presentation skills. Because if you listen to the way he speaks, he speaks in complete sentences, hmm. often quite long, with parenth- you know, parentheses. And he'll say, you know, he's got little ticks like, oh, by the way, we don't agree with this on the other you know, he can go off into little tangents and you, but you've got to listen because you know there's a whole sentence and when he gets to the end of the sentence the point will land and if he weren't able to deliver his whole sentence he, he wouldn't be able to say anything um, whereas now quite often you're just getting a bite of something and the, you know the, that, that sort of eagerness that sort of puppy-like quality that a lot of our politicians have is they feel like they're about to be cut off at any moment and I know I've worked with quite a few of them to try and say mm. give your, give, take a breath give your idea time to live and have the confidence to wait until the end of the sentence and pe- people will have to wait for you but they know they go, I've quickly got to get my soundbite out now because if I don't get it out now and you know what we think on this and what we think on that is qu- quickly get it out because they think that's how they will get their clip on the telly and land their point but actually if you listen to the way the masters speak, and I know it's different because he's not in frontline politics anymore. Um, but he has a, a rounded idea, which is the part of that sense of overview and um, sort of lofty, lofty intelligence. And you know, I've thought this all through. So let me just take you. If you just analyse one of his responses any time on any subject, it goes off. It starts as a proper answer to the question, then it goes off somewhere else, and you're thinking, "Where are you? Hang on, where are you going? You're going all the way around this massive." And then you feel the circle coming back and he's coming round and then he delivers his point beautifully. And that little journey, every step of it made sense. Mm. Uh, well argued, well thought through, landed his point beautifully. And then you ask him another question and he'll do the same thing again. It goes off on a little journey with, and by the way, this and by the way, that. And actually, when I was leader and I won three elections, you know, all the little things that he wants to do. And, they, and back, boom, to the point. But you, unless you can command the room for long enough to give you a 90 second space to do that trick you're not going to be able to come across as someone who's really thought things through and understands the counter argument yes i'll give you that but we do have to do something and so these are the options before us and this is why i say we do this 
you couldn't be that politician without having the media skills to enable you to put those ideas forward is, is my contention I think that's spot on isn't it I mean I, I, I guess I would call it craft rather than trick or skill mm. or even mm-hmm, mm. because I think it is a craft in the same way that if you're writing a drama which I know you're is your day job as it were or your world it's unfulfilling if you go on a journey and you, you don't end up somewhere that's interesting or useful or gives you something you didn't know or a surprise or something so you go on the journey once sort of a thing and if it's not appealing or interesting you wouldn't go on that journey again but at the same time if you tried to write a drama which was just assertions which is what we get from politicians just kind of very simplistic um, disconnected often kind of assertions and mm. statements mm. how could you ever hope to feel like you've got a relationship or that you can understand that person or understand what they're thinking so I think yeah the language that they use but also the craft in which they deliver it has such a massive impact on on how you feel about the person and, and what they're trying to communicate which sounds obvious when you say it but you know, Keir Starmer will often go, look, there's three things. And they'll go, first of all, and he'll give you the first one. And you'll be wondering what the other two are going to be. Mm. And you never get there. And so even on a kind of subconscious level, you feel not disappointed, but you feel like, oh, I haven't got the thing, really, because I've only got one of the three mm. things. Because you've been interrupted or whatever. Yeah, or the th- and it's never quite come yeah, back round to the where... The conversation just moves on. Um, where you wanted it to be. And so... That as a kind of th- experience is, is is not enjoyable, is it at all? And I, you know, I don't know if the news are, the news are certainly complicit in this, but it's still true that when either a politician makes that space, or you know, like Alistair Campbell and Rory Stewart, they create a different kind of a space. People are interested in the stuff if they're given good stuff, you know, mm. and interesting things mm. in a way that has a bit of craft to it actually and mm, mm. um, yeah we definitely definitely don't have that right now you know but maybe we'll get there maybe Keir Starmer will get there maybe when he hears your your revelatory um, <coughs> voice tone uh, thing he might think again I hope so well, I think everything that we're saying you know and I think definitely the the lesson of um, of Rory and Alistair is that actually people do want to be allowed to think they want to be allowed in the room with the thoughts you know, actually, what do we do in a softly spoken way? People are really, really happy to have that and they'll fill the Albert Hall, literally, to come and listen to reasonable people, albeit from slightly different worldviews, talking this stuff through. So actually this sort of desperate rush to speak in sound bites and to, to quickly get you, you know, it's like somebody raises a, a topic and you go, well, our point of view on that one, what we say on that subject is this. And yeah, but what about this? well? What we say on that subject is, and like, but you're not getting a sense of somebody who's thinking things through. And um, no, and they've they've you know they even speak though they are. such. I mean, you know, if I hear "Let me be clear" once more, yeah. I'm going to yeah. strangle that person because <laughs> you know "Let me be clear" is a clear precursor to a pointless opinion that's told in a kind of thoughtless way to me mm. very often, and being talked at in that way is just it's just horrible. Whereas Somebody says, look, come on a journey with me, you know, and I'm going to take you somewhere different or somewhere more interesting. I think most people are up for that, you know, and they'll give you the room to to try and do that and, and at least give you points for the effort. But when people say, I don't know, we don't understand 
um, Keir Starmer or we don't know who Rishi is or what or any of them. I think just sort of saying, you know, my dad did this or, you know, I'm not that is not taking people on it on a journey. It's mm. not um, it's not that Blair thing of, you know, going off somewhere and coming back and arriving and recognising and feeling like, oh, yeah, I've kind of you, you've explained that to me. Uh, and so it's just it's just how how I mean, I feel sorry for him in a way, but how are we going to get to know them or know them in the sense of a politician and what they think and the ideas that they that they have if they can't take us on that journey well how politicians connect and how we might help them to connect how they look and how they sound and how they present and how they campaign in coming months is what we're about and what we'll be discussing in the run-up to the next election so let's call that a wrap and say thank you for listening and please join us again in a week or so as we bring our presentational perspective to British politics and let me say that in a more commanding tone join us again join us again join us again join us again Electioneering is an Island Pictures production and our audio ident is composed by Andy Price <laughs>